Well, how's everybody doing today? I hope well. I hope you're glad to be here if you're in person or to be watching if you're online. And uh, by the way, if you are on your uh, phone, I know some people like to get on during, which is fine. Or if you're watching uh, online, then share that Facebook video while you're cruising around and let uh, reach as, we can reach as many people as possible. But um, yeah, I started off talking about Teresa's birthday. You know, she doesn't make as big a deal about it as I do. So you know, you probably wouldn't have known, but uh, we did just, today's a good day, I think, for the calendar house because um, it's the end of another birth week, and uh, birth weeks can uh, be tedious for those who aren't <laughs> on the, who are on the uh, giving side and not the receiving side, so no, Teresa doesn't take <clears throat> near the advantage that I do, so. Um, the worst was when we had babies, um, and they were in diapers. Birth week meant you didn't have to change any diapers. Uh, so for me, that was a week I did not look forward to um, because lots of diaper changing. But uh, no, we were happy to celebrate Sarisa. She's a wonderful wife and mother and um, partner. So happy that uh, we can do that with her. So uh, it, at least tell her happy birthday. She likes hugs. If uh, I don't know if you know, you're mask wearing or hugging or whatever. But um, so today's a good day. I'm excited to be here. I'm, I'm really excited about what we're talking about. Um, I think that it's something in the church we probably don't address as often as we uh, could or should. And uh, let me encourage you if you, missed, if you missed last week's message to go back and listen to it. Um, it I think it's, a, again, it's one of the times I'm going to say it was a great teaching. It's not necessarily something that um, I'm not trying to promote myself in any way. I make no, uh, I have, I make nothing off of any of the. Uh, podcast or messages, so I just think that the teaching is good and solid. In fact, we have a podcast. You can get to that from our website uh, and subscribe to it, so when the new one hits every week, you can uh, listen to that if, you're, if you've missed one. But um, we, we kind of have been going through the summer, uh, into the summer, with uh, talking about love, if you guys remember. And um, so we're working now through a new series called Love is a Verb. As much as God has loved us, as much as he has taught us to love, as, as much as he fills us with his love, and we want to show other people love and what that is and what that looks like, um, it's important that we understand love is a verb. Love is, is doing. Love is uh, us uh, getting into the world and letting them see, letting people see. And, not, and honestly, not just the world. We've uh, talked a lot about that, and we're going to talk some more about that today. But it's also with each other. Uh, the church should be the safest place to have a disagreement. The church should be the safest place uh, for people to be where we know we're not going to have somebody who's talking about us. You know, the church needs to be uh, the safest place where love is shown. And, and I love that about our church. I think we, we do great in that regard. We have a good church, solid. People love each other. And so we're talking about what it looks like to love others. So um, we decided that we are filled with God's love and that Jesus has told us that that love cannot stay with us. John 13, 34, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. It, it's nothing that can stay with us. He loves us, and because he loves us, we need to love others. So last week we started talking about this idea of biblical justice. And biblical justice is not involved in politics and it's not involved in economics, and it's not involved in sociology. It is simply righting wrongs uh, 
being generous and being socially concerned for the poor and the vulnerable among us. It's, uh, I don't want to get involved in, in politics in any way. We're sticking strictly with what the Bible tells us, uh, which is, we believe, the Word of God. He has spoken that to people who have written it down. And by the way, when we talk about the Word of God, it's not only the Bible. We do believe that. It's inspired um, by God, written and for us to take as the Word of God. But also, God speaks to you. He should be speaking to you. you. You should have a relationship with him where he speaks to you as well. And um, listen when he does. So we're concerned for the poor and the vulnerable in our society. Isaiah 117 gave us this command. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan and plead for the widow. It's kind of the basis for this whole Love is a Verb series that we're doing. And by the way, as we get into today's message, um, download the church app and follow along the, the sermon notes or the Bible app as well. They're on there. Um, you can find those there. So, um, so last week we dug into this idea of biblical justice. And really it comes down to two words used for justice in the Hebrew language. Uh, one is mishpat. You guys remember mishpat? Mishpat is um, the Justice, the word justice that we see so often, in fact, in this scripture in Isaiah, um, where it says, seek justice, the word there is mishpat. And it, it is more than just um, punishment of wrongdoing, which is how uh, many of us maybe have learned to understand it. Judgment, decision by arbitration, acquitting or punishing every person on the merits of the case. So uh, this justice that uh, mishpat really represents is giving people their rights. It's giving people their due. It's, it's uh, more than just punishment, but also giving them what they have coming. This is why if you look at every place in the Old Testament where the word mishpat is used for justice, nearly every place it mentions four different types of people, widows, orphans, immigrants, and poor. Because we are told that it is our duty to care for them. That their justice, their mishpat comes from us. They're given what they need. Today we might expand this group to include the refugee or the migrant worker or the homeless or single parents or uh, elderly people. Things that they have coming, things that they have due. We've got to watch out for them, take care of them, give them their justice. The next one, the other word was ziraka, ziraka. And it's, you can see it's uh, spelled with a T, but that's silent. To be just or righteous, ziraka, to be just or righteous. Now, when you see that word in the Hebrew language, more often than not, it's translated as to be righteous or righteousness. But the root of the word is to be just. Sidaka refers to day-to-day -day living with people, conducting relationships in family and society with fairness and generosity and equity. It's, it's just it's being a good person. It's the way we live. In fact, if Sidaka was 
more prevalent in our society, there would be no need for mishpat because we would be living equitably and righteously and just, justly with everyone around us. So these two words correspond to primary justice and rectifying justice. Rectifying justice is mishpat. It's setting wrongs to right. If you remember, we talked about having, uh, if somebody in your life was kidnapped, justice for them would be recovering the kidnapped person. It's mishpat. It's put back to right. It's justice for them. Zidaka is primarily about being in a right relationship with God, and the righteousness that results is very social in nature. Because as we live in right relationship with God, and this is the way that God set it up, His love comes to us. We build this relationship with Him. We live righteously. So out of that life, a, a loving, righteous life flows. And so we live in right relationship with people around us. So that's last week. We're just trying to catch up now. So we were talking about biblical justice, and that's what it is. So now that we kind of have an understanding of justice, I thought it would be good to turn to some specific examples of how God intends for us to live the just life. And two weeks ago, we had uh, Steve and Amanda Pettit come and talk about the uh, ministry that they're involved in that our church uh, really has an opportunity to partner with in freeing people from human trafficking. That's one way that we can live out the love that God has shown us. That's one way that we can see justice come to those people who have been wronged. You know, it's one thing to say, yes, we believe in justice, but it's really quite another thing to say, this is the justice that I'm going to do. This is the act of justice I will participate in. Like, that's, that's a little bit more difficult. That's, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's saying, you know, if the opportunity came up for me to adopt an orphan, I would do that. You can say that. But then when the opportunity comes up, do we say, oh, man, I wasn't expecting that quite. I didn't know. And if you've ever been in that position, then you understand. Cerise and I had an opportunity um, a couple of years ago, actually right before we moved here. Uh, I, I only know because of experience. We're always saying, yeah, we want to do it. We want to do the right thing. We want to live justly. We want to love people. And, and this little 12-year-old girl, she, her caregiver, her grandmother, died of a heart attack suddenly and surprisingly. And we hardly knew this girl. We had met her grandmother one time, but her grandmother, before she died, asked if we would take her. And we were like, oh, yeah, that's fine. And then she died of a heart attack. Oh, my word. The, this is where the rubber meets the road, you know what I mean? And we really had to examine ourselves. Are we willing to do this? And, I mean, obviously we have not adopted. Don't, please don't think bad of us. We, we took her in. She lived with us for a time. And then um, before any of the legal custody things could happen, some uh, other people in her family came, and uh, she went to live with them. So we didn't, we didn't have the ability by law. But I'm just telling you that when something happens, you have to be ready. Like, are you going to say it? 
or are you going to do it? So today I want to take a look at what the Bible says about justice for widows and orphans. Uh, we're going to look at James. <laughs> James. Anybody know anything about James? Man, that's a scary book, <laughs> the book of James, because it will make you feel horrible. James 126, B- because it feels like we don't do enough, maybe. So, uh, and really this, this whole passage starts with, with verse 19. Um, in context, he's talking about uh, our tongue and the way that we speak, and, and uh, that we need, you guys know that, to tame our tongue. You can, you can destroy a whole person or a whole organization with the words that you say. James is warning against how we, how we speak. And he gets down to this part, and he says in verse 26, If any of you think you're religious, and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. We've really got to be careful how we speak about people. There's a whole other thing that we can get into there. But gossip and slander, man, those things you got to watch out. Because James is saying, if you, if you think you're religious, you do not bridle your tongues, but deceive your hearts, because your religion is worthless. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to take care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. To take care of orphans and widows in their distress. So I want to set a little groundwork here. Um, This book is basically a challenge for people who follow Jesus to live their faith. To live their faith. In other words, we believe that by faith we're saved through grace, right? Jesus has died on the cross. We can be forgiven. We can be saved. And the disciples were going around, the apostles, and they were teaching this. We are saved by faith through grace. Just believe and and you'll be saved. So they're going around teaching that. And James is saying... Hey, we need to live our faith. Like you have faith, that's good. We need to live it. Let our lives show it. So James, Christian tradition teaches us early on that this is James who is the brother of Jesus. And uh, somebody said once that if you want to know if Jesus really was the son of God, (laughs) all you have to do is look at his little brother. Because if his little brother believed it, imagine your little brother or sister. (laughs) Would you believe that about them? Probably not. If he could convince his little brother, then it must be true. Apparently that was only for me, but it was good. All right. Maybe somebody at home got that too. Hey, it's, it's a good thing. All right. Jewish believers at this time grew up following the law, believing that it, it was by how righteous they were according to the law, right? Because before Jesus, all they had was the law. Old Testament, follow this, 600 and I think it's 13 ways to be righteous, follow these laws. Paul comes along in Galatians and says, um, listen, it's impossible to follow follow the law perfectly. He he says, in fact, if you want to be righteous, either you have to follow all the law or follow Jesus. Paul comes along and says that, which is pretty cool because that really lets them out of a lot of these laws that uh, that they had to follow. But as the apostles, imagine, are spreading throughout uh, all of the place and teaching about Jesus and what he is, they're changing people's minds. So the, the Jews really had this idea that they followed the law and, and they believed in the law, 
that their obedience to the law meant salvation. So as they began to follow Jesus, they were looking for the same thing. Uh, my obedience to the law. So when they became followers of Jesus, it was a struggle for them because salvation, they were told, was by faith alone. It's only in faith. And they're like, wait a minute. I have these laws that I need to follow too, right? No. That's the thing I love about Galatians. And Paul comes in, and which we were just saying, but he, he really he wrecks that for them. Because, and Paul's mad. He's angry in, in writing the letter uh, the, to uh, the church in Galatia. Just read that letter. He's angry about it. He's saying, man, you guys got to get a hold of this. It's only by faith that you're saved. But as we read the book of James, it's like the struggle is a little bit different. As, as the apostles and the teachers begin to spread the word that salvation is by faith alone, it's not in keeping the law. It seems that James is writing this book to the ones who are kind of taking this whole phrase out of context, saved by faith alone. So as we get into this, one of the things that has always thrown me off about this particular scripture, that true religion is this. I looked at the word religion. What what does it mean by being religious? See, I think in the English, for us, when we think of religion or religious, we think of church. We think of rule following, right? We think of of religion. In fact, um, we try to not be religious, per se. The, I told you the conversation that I had with the guy who said, I don't consider myself a religious person. And I was like, good, me neither. I'm not religious. But that's because for me, religious means like I'm following all the, the rules. I can come to church every week but not have a relationship with God and get to heaven. That's not true. That's rule-following faith or religion you know that that's that's what we have so i was like i don't understand what he means true religion is this what does the word religion mean the word is threskos for religion and and really in the english it conjures up this idea of the rule following but in the in the greek it's a it carries a deeper meaning it means being devout or pious it means being devoted to god and understanding it that way, when we say religious or religion for us, we can say, oh, yeah, I can, I can see that. For me, I can say, oh, yeah, I want to be religious then. Are we truly being devout to God? Are we, are we pious in nature? Are we following him? Are we devoted to God? That's the best way to look at it. So true devotion to God, James is saying, is to care for orphans and widows in their, in their distress. This is true devotion to God is this. So there are some people who began to take the message that they were saved by faith alone out of context. James is teaching that, yes, it is true you're saved by faith alone, but in addition to that, faith without works is dead. This trips a lot of people up because they want to say, hey, I'm saved by faith. By faith alone. So that means I can do or not do whatever I want because it's faith that saves me. James comes in and he says, well, not really. Because you can say that you're saved by faith, but if your life doesn't reflect the faith that you say you have, then you probably really don't have faith. It's, it's just, it's, it's a, you understand, right? And it, we have to be careful to not say it's, neither, it's not either or. It's both and. We're saved by faith, 
and our works, our life has to show it. Now, we take it both ways. Sometimes we say our life, the works that we do, my piousness shows that I am a Christian. No, it's not true at all. You can go to church and Sunday school and small group and read the Bible every single day of your life. But if you don't have a relationship with God, it means nothing. So the works mean nothing without the faith. And the faith means nothing without the works. That's what James is saying here. So James challenges to live the kind of life that reflects the heart of God. And what is the heart of God? Well, that's where orphans and widows come in. And, and why orphans and widows, right? It's, it's an odd group to tag. Orphans and widows. Remember we talked last week that there were several groups in ancient societies who had no power. They had the ability to do nothing. Orphans and widows were two of those in ancient society. They lived a life that we talked about last week called hand to mouth. They were poor. They had no extra. If, a, if a, a plague came in or some kind of sickness or if social unrest or something happened that disrupted the flow of their life, they very well could starve to death because they had nothing. Widows, without, when their husband died, it's a big deal, man. They lost their livelihood. And orphans had no ability to care for themselves. Well, that's where Mishpat comes in. As part of our call to Mishpat, to rectifying justice, it was the duty of the Christians to care for these people, for the widows. It's our duty. It, they deserve it from us. Now, sometimes we will say, they don't deserve it. What are they doing? Why should I give them anything? But God taught in the Old Testament all different ways. God speaking, Moses speaking, uh, Hosea speaking, Isaiah speaking, like all kinds of ways that God taught, it is their right. They get to be taken care of by us, by believers in God. So for us to perform justice, mishpat, we have to take care of them. So why were they unworthy in society? This was interesting to me. He singles out really two groups of people that the ancient society would have deemed unworthy. They would have said, these people are unworthy of receiving help. Society in general would consider them just not worth the effort. But, but why? And when you really dig into it, it's, it's, this is the reason. Because if I help them, they probably won't be able to repay me. If I help them, I need to know that my help for them is going to receive nothing in return. If I help them, I'm helping them only out of the goodness of my heart. And that's, this is the two groups in the ancient times that, that that's true of. Not necessarily true of the poor, because you could help Somebody who's poor, they could make their way back and you might get repaid. So helping poor while we still have to do that, and we're going to talk about that next week, is not the same as helping widows and orphans. Widows and orphans, because when I help them, I'm helping someone who can't pay me back. So any help I give, I know that I will not get repaid. And as a carnal rule, catch that? Carnal, the... Uh, 
sin within us that we were born into, our carnality, as a carnal rule, we shouldn't help anyone that can't help us, right? James says pure religion, pure devotion to God is taking care of them because if I can do that, then I know my motivation is pure, right? That's why widows and orphans in this time for us, what is it? If I help somebody back and I know I'm not going to get anything in return, then my motivation to help them is pure. For a fact, it's only because I love God and I'm loving them because God loves me. That's it. There is nothing else. And then speaking of faith, James teaches that mere words are not enough. It needs to be followed up with action, and that is authentic faith. So if you keep reading in James chapter 2, uh, verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. James is teaching that if you only say the right things, if you only say that I want to help you, if you only say, which is why one of the things that uh, we have to be careful about is telling people, oh, good, I'll pray for you. Have you ever caught yourself doing that? Oh, man, I'm so sad you're going through this hard time. I'm going to pray for you. And then do you really pray? I mean, hopefully we do. We try to remember. Uh, for me, I'm a, I can be a forgetful person. So uh, what my, uh, I have a mentor, Pastor Bob. What Pastor Bob taught me is I would say, oh, Bob, would you just, I need you to pray for me. Oh, good, Cal, let's pray right here. And he'd just do it right there, right there. And it didn't matter where, I had to be careful. I had to, like, we might be at Walmart together and we're in the aisle praying about whatever it was. And he's not a quiet guy. He's from New York, you know. Uh, he, he grew up in the Bronx, and he's loud and has a thick accent. And he would invite other people in the aisle to come pray. Hey, you want to come pray with us? It was his personality. <coughs> we, have to, we have to not only pray for people. We have to do something. We can't just say. Looking after orphans and widows, according to James, involves hands-on service, not just praying. Honestly, in, in, in my notes, I have a note there that says, honestly, I don't know what to do with this because I am super convicted. I was crying when I was writing this. What in the world am I doing to help the orphans and the widows? Have I called any group or organization to help? Am I finding out what to do? Am I getting involved in their lives? I... Man, you know, it's not hard to come to church and pray and read our Bible. What's harder is sacrificing our time, sacrificing our effort and our resources to help those who are in need. It's harder. Coming to church isn't hard. To help those who can't afford to pay us back, that's to perform pure religion. <clears throat> That's to perform pure devotion to God. 
It seems it's our nature to only help somebody when we know that there's something in return for us. And, and I, I don't, I'm sure many of you are the same way and as I am. When you meet somebody and they're like, oh, yeah, I work at so-and-so car dealership. You think, oh, cool, maybe I can get employee pricing. <laughs> right? I mean, is that your first thought? Like, ooh, oh, what can you do for me? Oh, you're in construction? Maybe I can get a good price on the house I want to build. Oh, you have a boat? I wonder if they want to sell it cheap to me. <laughs> right? Like, we, we, in our minds, we just go there. And we have to be careful. Not that that's bad. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that's bad. But we have to be careful only helping people, knowing that we're going to get something in return. We have to be willing to help knowing that we won't, and that shows pure motives. That's why James says helping them, orphans and widows, is is pure devotion. I can help people, but I can't do it with impure motives. We're glad to help people who we expect to be there to scratch our back when it comes time. James highlights orphans and widows because it does nothing for us. We help them, and we don't get a return. This is tweetable, by the way, this next word, this next sentence. If you tweet, when my motives are pure, my reward is sweet. Can we have pure motives? When my motives are pure, my reward is sweet. So, Today, that's why I called this message follower or faker. (laughs) Really, the question for us today is, are we a follower or are we a faker? James is telling us to stop acting religious and start being religious. Quit acting like it and start being it. I want to read this a little longer out of Isaiah chapter 1. Oh, Isaiah. Isaiah is such a good book of the prophets. I mean, if you, if you ever have a chance, you should just work your way through Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. This is early in the, in the book. This is God speaking. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow, which is our base scripture for what we're talking about. The book of Isaiah finds that the nation of Israel has turned a deaf ear to God. They kind of got into a good place, a good rhythm. Things are going good. They're doing their sacrifices. They're having their prayers. They're living their lives. Uh, Things are happening well. And God just got so sick of it because it meant nothing to him. Because they had moved away from what he had told them to do. He didn't say, hey guys, I want you to have... Uh, festivals, and I want you to have times of prayer, and I want to make sure that you come and, and spend time in the temple. That's not what he said. He said, I want to love with you. I want to have a relationship with you. I, he developed all of these things to stay close and connected with them, and he told them that 
throughout the <coughs> excuse me throughout the Old Testament, if you read through it, to take care of the fatherless, to take care of the orphans, to take care of the widows, to take care of this is what he has told them throughout. They've moved away. Their sacrifices are meaningless. They turn their backs on God. They've alienated themselves from him. So God is explaining through Isaiah why they are going to have judgment pronounced on them. They're going through their religious practices, but God wasn't happy with that. Why? Because it wasn't true religion. It wasn't true devotion. They're not living it out. They thought their religious duties stopped at performing rituals. It sounds to me like it's the same cycle over and over and over again. We as people have to be so careful because we tend to uh, pull in to protect ourselves. We get into a comfortable place and, and we like that and, and we gather our pe- friends around us. It, it extends to organizations. Every business book I've read, businesses that fail tend to fail because as they grow, they become more inward focused. And as they become inward focused, they begin to die and shrink. Businesses don't die because they're outward focused. They die because they're inward focused. Organizations in general. So then we begin to pull things in and and protect ourselves and love ourselves. and, And God's saying, wait, 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 that's not what this is about. This isn't about coming to church only. Yes, I want that relationship. I want worship. I want gathering. I want fellowship. God wants that for us. But that's not all. That's our faith. That's the faith side. We have to live that faith out by our actions. What are we doing? God tells the people through the prophet Hosea. We talked about Hosea a minute ago. uh, Chapter 6, verse 6. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. He wants to be acknowledged. He wants you to show mercy more than anything. Forget the sacrifice. Just acknowledge God. And, and people forgot that. They were like, wait, wait, wait. The, the, it says right here in, in the book of the law, this is what it says. How, and God says, that's okay. Show mercy to people. This is what our emphasis needs to be. It's what our priority is. Every rule followed, every sacrifice, every church service, every small group, every Sunday school class means nothing without extending mercy to those who need it. This is what Jesus told the Pharisees. Remember, they would get mad at him. Jesus would go have dinner with who they would call a sinner. Was it Zacchaeus? He's one of my favorite ones. Because he was a wee little man. <laughs> Remember that song? A wee little man was he. Je- Jesus went to have, did y'all learn that too or is that just me? <clears throat> Some of you learned that song, yeah. All right. So, so the, the wee little man Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, uh, probably bigger than this by the way, but uh, Zacchaeus and Jesus, they went to eat at Zacchaeus' house and all the uh, Pharisees were like, Jesus, what are you doing? He's a sinner. You can't hang out with sinners. And Jesus tells them this out of Hosea. It's about mercy, guys. Don't you understand it? So how how can we as a church be involved in pure religion? Listen, before relationship with Jesus, 
religion is heavy, it's burdensome, it's frustrating. Man, it's hard to get along with. But after relationship with Jesus, you surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit. Your being is miraculously transformed. You're no longer doing religion, but you are being religion. You understand the difference? Sundays of obligation turn into Sundays of celebration. Times of prayer become communion. A quiet time with God is transformed from religious duty into worship. It's just the difference. You know, giraffes eat trees, leaves from trees, because that's what giraffes do, right? We all know that. Giraffes, they're tall, they eat leaves from trees. What if a rabbit came along and says, you know what, I'm just going to eat leaves from trees, and that's it. I'm just going to eat the leaves from the trees. Well, that rabbit's a dumb rabbit, first of all. Um, sorry, just the thought of Elmer Fudd went through my head real quick. So this rabbit is saying, I want to eat from the leaves of the tree, but the rabbit can't eat from the leaves of the tree. But can God transform that rabbit to become a giraffe to eat the leaves from the tree? Of course he could. And if, if God transformed the rabbit to be a giraffe, then the newly formed giraffe could eat the leaves from the tree and do great and flourish. Many sinners spend their lives trying to live in hopeless desperation because that's what they do. They try and they work hard. And you know the sad thing is, is they see Christians trying and working hard and trying to do the right thing. And in their minds, there's this place of heaven where if I can do more good than I do bad, then I get to go to heaven it's just this whole point system. And if I can score this many points more than my bad points, then off I get to go. <laughs> many people spend their lives trying to live in hopeless, hopeless desperation because that's what they do. Just like the draft who eats the leaves, that's what he does. Can God change that person? To be somebody different? Of course he can. And that's his plan. And that is the only way that religion becomes pure religion. You see, like the rabbit who wants to eat the leaves of the tree, so are we who want to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. And of course he can transform us. It's just will we let him? So the question for us today is, as we talk about biblical justice, are we going to allow the Holy Spirit to move in us so that we can take care of the widows and orphans? So that we can help people who we know we're not going to get anything back from. Can we bring rectifying justice into somebody's life? Can you imagine the relief that they will feel when they get that hand up from a Christian? 
this is one of the reasons that, one of the things that I don't like about politics, because we as Christians have surrendered our Christian duty to politicians. God has called me to take care of the widows and orphans. Me to take care of the naked and the hungry. He called me to do that. Not the government. Not politicians. Not society. It's not a random group of people somewhere who's going to take care of that. In fact, the church is not, as an organization, responsible to take care of the widows and orphans. The church as a group of people is. It's our duty. So man, my encouragement today is let's get involved in some pure religion. Let's get involved in some devotion to God that he wants from us. We have things that we're trying to do. We have activities uh, of ministry that we're trying to start. We, Heather's done a great job with the um, uplift ministry. In fact, by, we have a few bags left after the, the um, giveaway yesterday. If you know somebody that needs some food, take a bag of food to them. And we're continuing. continuing. In fact, and it's just this one thing. And, and this is just about the hungry. We're going to talk about the poor and the hungry and, and those next week. But as, as we grow as a church, as a body of believers, as people, this is our opportunity to do pure religion that God has called us to do. And we're trying to get grants and we're trying to, I know she's doing everything she can. You guys have been fantastic bringing food up here after the, the other grant expired. So, man, we're still able to do it. We're still reaching people. And we want to continue on that because we don't need to be an organization that turns inward. We need to stay outward focused or we'll die. Right? So we're going to do what God's called us to do. Let's pray this morning. God. Thank you for who you are for us. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your Jesus, for your brother James, and things like this to remind us that it's not faith only, but it's our actions, our works that accompany the faith. So help us with that, God, and help us to find the opportunities and help us to have the maybe you can cause some people to cross our paths, God. So that as they cross our paths, we find ways we can help because we want to do what you called us to do. Man, we love you this morning. We're so grateful. Just ask that you uh, be with us this week as we learn to live biblical justice. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. 